Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. <laughs> Turn with me to Psalm 23. Yes, we sang the song that goes with the passage. If any of you are just picking up on that, yes, we did that. We try not to do that. It can get a little corny sometimes, but the Lord gave that song to our church. We wrote that, I don't know, how long ago did we write that, babe? Three, three years? Gosh, I feel, like, I feel like I was singing it in prayer services like 100 years ago, but it's been a long three years, whenever it was. And I, uh, and I think that with it came this heart uh, to really know the shepherd and and when I hear our church sing it, I sense that longing that's, you know, the goal is to dwell with him. At the end of the day, the, the soaring refrain, and I will dwell. But there is the, 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 these things that come before dwelling in that place we want to dwell. And so today, like so many other messages that you've heard from this pulpit, today is about order. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, we're going we're gonna to end up stopping there today. And this passage is going to be preached over two weeks. I'm not ready to call it a series yet, but what I, ha- but what I have found out is that when I get into David, um, we end up going deep. And so we're going to go deep in this. We're going to get into some Hebrew, uh, and we're going to peel back some layers, and we may flip some tables over from some of the understanding that we've always had, and Xania Buckley gave me permission to do that a number of years ago, and so I flex that freedom on a regular basis. But uh, I want to take our time with it. And honestly, I'm like, I could do a 150-part series on the whole book of Psalms or a a 20-part series just on Psalm 23. But we're going to go through this. I know there's more to it. People were coming up to me after the service telling me stuff, stuff I didn't know or used to know or maybe knew and just didn't have time to say. There's so much here. There's so much here. There are books, entire books written about Psalm 23. And tragically, sometimes the most powerful of passages, not that any passage is more powerful than anything else, but sometimes some of the most significant in our moments and in our seasons passages, they also become the most cliche because they're most likely to be, you know, set in ceramic at your, you know, local Christian bookstore, or they're most likely to be on a, on a condolences card or, or, you know, in a, on a mural on a wall somewhere or on your mantle. And so I want to be careful, not just for this passage, but about all of them in general. Don't breeze by these things that we think we know so well. Lean into them. Lean into this this morning with me for just three verses, and let's see what the Lord has. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, I'm working on my own translation of the Bible that Will is publishing and editing for me, and between the two of us, it should be epic. Um, but, uh, but I'm going to add a word this morning, and I'm really careful, or I should be at least, about adding words here. But I want, I want us to understand the context of what's happening. And so if you can write this in your Bible, if you're not afraid to do it right, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of your Bibles say lack. Because the Lord is my shepherd. Why do we need that there? Because we live in a day and age when, uh, number one, in, uh, we are in an unprecedented time of decontextualizing Scripture. With the dawn of social media, uh, this is like the thing to do is just to throw all these disembodied statements from Scripture out onto these posts with no regard as to how they interconnect with everything else. Everybody loves this one. He makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Dot, dot, dot. 
And we forget about having to be called according to his purpose, don't we? We, we forget. And there's usually, there's usually some, some rest of some sentence or some statement that contextualizes whatever it is that God's saying. And we make it a footnote when he made it a headline. Okay? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. See, there's a, there, there, there are two really big errors. There are two huge ditches on either side of this straight and narrow path. And one of them is, the Lord is my shepherd, but woe is me. I'm this, this impoverished Christian, and this is just my lot in life, is to live in lack. And all I have is the Lord, but that's enough, brother. I'll just, naked I came into the world, and naked I'll, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, don't be naked now, all right? So let's just, let's square that away. But then the other side is, this emphasis on I shall not lack, I shall not want, I have need for nothing. But we've removed it from the fact that the only reason we can live without lack is because of who our shepherd is. You can't pull one statement out of this and throw it up on your social media thing and think that it's enough. Because the Lord is my shepherd. That word, that Hebrew word translated, it's translated shepherd 63 times in scripture, but it's translated 75 times as feed. Feed. In the verb sense, in the noun sense, you can take it in whatever sense you want it in, but it makes sense. That this idea, this role of a shepherd when in reference to the Lord, we find that he is not only the one who provides sustenance, but he is the sustenance himself. He is the word made flesh. And he himself, Jesus says, unless you eat of me and drink my blood, a blasphemous statement at the time. For Jews, a crowd of Jews to be hearing somebody talk about cannibalism, that was enough right there to have him thrown out of town. But what he meant was, I am the word. You live on the word, not on bread alone. And so saints, we have to come to a place where he's not only our shepherd, but he is the very food that we need. He's the very thing that we require. And when he is that food, we shall not lack if you're writing things down, lack is a mindset more than a condition. Now, some of y'all are not going to be happy that I'm saying this because you are broke. And you don't want somebody telling you that it's a mindset, not a condition. And I mean broke not like in a spiritual, metaphorical, figurative sense. Not in a poetic kind of way. <laughs> you're just broke. Like, you don't have any money. <laughs> and listen, it's really tough when you are in a very real financial situation to be talking about a spiritual situation, but I'm going to say that lack is a mindset more than a condition. The condition is simply the manifestation of the mindset. The first service was like all like, amen. No, they were trying. They were trying. Jamal was helping them, but. Well, Zach, what does that mean? You're trying to say that I have the power in my mind to change things. What I'm saying is that when our minds are set on what he feeds us, our condition follows. You think that your mind is chasing your condition around, but that's not true. You manifest around yourself, in your world, in your life, in your home. You manifest a, an expression, a reality of your mind. Because your eyes begin to look for and seek out whatever your mind hears your mouth say. I'm going to say it one more time. You know what? Turn the lights on. Turn them on. Thanks. You know what? Turn them off. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't turn them off. <laughs> oh, look at you out here, all these people. I love you so much. 
Nana Dot, I love you. Listen, your eyes look for what your mind hears your mouth say. So, so this isn't some mystical, weird, I think, therefore I am sort of philosophy. This isn't some magical thing where things just materialize because you make them up in your head. No, there's nothing magical about it. It's actually incredibly scientific, and God created it that way. Did you know, most of you know because you've heard me say it. Some of you were actually in the first service, and you just heard me say it. But there is... There's a part of your brain that only receives, it only hears, it only believes what your voice actually says out loud. God made it that way. God made you that way. And now we wonder, don't we, how it is that I can, how it is that I can grow up and for 27 years, that's how old I am, for 25 years, I can hear people around me say, Zach, you're so talented. Zach, you're so handsome. Zach, you're so smart. Zach, you're so this. And how is it that after 23 years of that, that I can still think so poorly of myself? Why? Because I don't care if every voice in the world, every voice on heaven and in hell was telling me the same thing until my voice begins to declare it, there is a part of me that will not believe it. Okay. You want to go one step further? So your eyes look for what your mind hears your mouth say, but from the heart, the mouth speaks. When there's lack in your heart, your mouth speaks it, your mind hears it, and your eyes begin to seek out lack. This works for everything. This works for fear. This, this works for fear. And, and you, if you want to put it to the test, we, we recently lived through a season where, where we hated the condition and the circumstances that we were in. But there was something in us. There was a place of lack, perhaps. Not everybody in here. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to project this on you. But what we found was a place in us of lack. And that lack was filled with fear instead of with feed, instead of with shepherding, instead of with the good, good father that sought to nourish us on his truth, on his word. And so instead, that place of lack consumed fear and now from fear we begin to speak and from our speech our mind begins to hear and believe and now our eyes are starting to look for something that our eyes never looked for before but we're looking out we're seeking out we're actually walking into places that are the embodiment of everything we hate and fear why because our heart wasn't full of what the shepherd feeds Leave the lights on. This, like all scripture saints, is about order. And we can't get anywhere. We love this passage, don't we? There's a reason why this is the passage that we preach at funerals. In fact, if I'm being really transparent, I did a funeral this week out on the Cape. And, and the Lord woke me up with this in my heart meditating on this passage and I'm thinking my mind this is how like fleshly I am I'm like oh this makes sense because I'm doing a funeral so Psalm 23 that's where I went the Lord had something totally radical and crazy something else to do at that funeral this was for today and next week <laughs> but listen we're changed when our mind is changed Scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Nothing mystical, nothing new agey, nothing whatever about it. Don't even go there. Just believe the Father. If we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, then that means that it works in the negative way too. 
When our mind goes into deficiency mode, when our mind goes into dearth mode, into famine mode, when we refuse to be nourished by what it is that the Father brings us, then we are speaking out of lack. So we love the, oh, grace and mercy, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the, prepare a table before, in the presence of my enemies. This sounds awesome. This is like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. It's about order, saints. And before we can own the rest of the chapter, we've got to be owned by the rest of the verse. Before we can own the, before you can take ownership of the rest of the chapter, you've got to be owned by the rest of the verse. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Let's keep going. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That entire phrase is translated from one Hebrew word. And would you believe that it is the same word used and the first use, which if you're into original language, then you know the law of first mention is important. The first time it shows up in scripture, it shows up twice in one verse and it's real early on. No, it's just once in that verse. It's another section I'm thinking of. Genesis 3 or 4, when the Lord's warning Cain, and he says, hey, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. Would you believe that the Lord making you lie down is the same Hebrew word used the very first time for sin crouching at the door? Wow. Let's get real. We all have that predatorial nature. This is the word for a a quadruped animal crouching down in the grasslands ready to pounce. Ready to attack. Ready to devour its prey. That instinct is in our fallen nature. If nobody's ever said that to you, I'm saying it to you right now. There is a, a broken, fallen thing in us. And, and maybe it's the result of offense in your life. Maybe it's a defense mechanism that you've learned to protect yourself with over the years. Whatever it is, that thing seeks to devour. But when he makes us, and the emphasis there is, yes, it is, he makes us. He causes the action to happen, right? He makes us lie down. If we're in order, we're already full. We're not crouching down hungry. We're not crouching down with a posture of attack. We're not crouching down to to fire off insults and backlashing and, and to make sure that whatever was said to us, that we come back harsher and stronger and meaner and fighting fire with fire. That's human nature. And I've already met my quota of COVID references today, but... I'm going to do it again. If you need proof of that, force the whole world back into their homes for an entire year. And when they come out, see how much human social tactfulness is left. Like none. Okay? I got Ashley and I were talking about this. (laughs) Ashley and I were talking about this the other day. We're like, man, people still haven't learned how to be like human beings yet. You know, like, just, like, common, like, courtesy, just like, hey, let me hold the door open, and you go in first. It's like, get out of my way. I need my donut. (laughs) You do need that donut. And Jesus. I'm not even talking about, like, being a good Christian. I'm talking about just, like, being a decent human being, okay? Like, like, we forgot that. Evolution is not real, okay? We devolved okay, by, by, by being locked in, in homes, okay? And, and you can see people are coming out and to make a statement when something happens they don't like, they're gonna like ransack a town and burn down buildings if you ever needed proof that evolution wasn't real. What has happened to us? We went back to predatorial instincts. We lost 
we lost that beautiful, gentle thing that the mantle of Jesus Christ puts on us. We need it back. Make me lie down. Because if I do it myself, it's going to be to attack. If I crouch down myself, we want to be the one inside the door, don't we? When we say sin's crouching at the door, we want to be the one that's like, (laughs) not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. I won't let you in. I I, I hear Jesus knocking. I'm going to open the door to him. But that's not what's up. What's up is that sin is in us crouching at the door, ready to pounce. That enemy, that thought, that temptation, that's the brokenness of our sinful nature when we haven't been sanctified, when we're not allowing ourselves to be made to lie down. Now, he's not going to literally make you do anything. But he's teaching us. Has anybody ever taught a dog how to sit? Usually it looks something like this. You know, there's like that innocent thing that you're like, I got like the smartest dog in the world. I bought Lassie's like descendant. And this dog, I remember my mom, mom, I hope you're watching. (laughs) Turn the lights off. I'm just kidding. Uh, My mom got this dog from the pound. Or what, do they call them the pound anymore? Is that even politically? The rescue shelter, whatever it is. You know what it is. That place where they put them to sleep if you don't get them fast enough. And uh, the last stop before the glue factory. My mom gets a dog. And in an effort to, in an effort to, you know, sanctify the situation, she named the dog Moses. Okay? And she wanted with her whole heart for Moses to be a good dog. But Moses was not a good dog. And the first time she brought it up to New England, she swore on everything she had that this dog has never had an accident in the house. Zach, can we bring the dog? Of course, Ashley and I, always so accommodating. And, you know, so we're like, of course you can bring the dog up to this new house that we just bought with all new furniture and all, you know, we just got married and we bought this wool rug that was beautiful, rolled it out, had all these paisley beautiful prints on it. Anyway, literally the first thing the dog does is come and pee right in the middle of the rug. Anyway... The reason I tell that story is because my mom also believed that Moses was a search and rescue dog. And I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, mom. The dog is not a search and rescue dog. The search is a, like, kill and go hide dog. It will, like, kill you and go hide your body. That's the kind of dog it is. It doesn't go find you to save you. It kills you to, like, go hide you, and nobody will ever see you again. The dog is just, you know, anyway, not my favorite dog. It bit me quite a few times. She'll deny that if you ask her next time she's up here. But the deal is, when you're trying to teach a dog something, you, you, you say to it, and she would say to it, search and rescue, Moses, search and rescue, search and rescue, search and rescue, Moses. And then she would take a treat. I think I have some treats, some dog treats up here. Here's one right here. She would take a treat. She'd hold it in front of the dog's face. And while the dog's like foaming at the mouth, she would take it and be like, search and rescue, Moses. And the dog would take off after the treat. Wow, mom. You found it. You found the dog. The dog we've all been waiting for. And so Moses has gone on to be with Jesus. Or so we say. Uh, But I learned some things. And that is that when you're teaching a dog even something as simple as to sit or to lay down, just saying it over and over doesn't usually work. At some point, when you realize you did not find Lassie at the pound, and you're trying to teach that dog to sit, you gently push down on its backside. Teaching requires an applied pressure in the right spot 
at the right time that accompanies the right word and achieves the right results. God is not going to force you to lie down in green pastures, but he will apply pressure in order to neutralize that predatorial instinct in order to get us to understand that on our knees, crouched down like this, does not mean, it doesn't have to mean anymore that we're poised and ready to attack. It can mean that we're full and satisfied. And it can mean that that predatorial instinct is quenched by the sufficiency of his pasture. Well, Zach, where's the pasture at? It's wherever he applies the pressure. Which usually means it's the last place you want to lay down. It's the last place you want to surrender. It's the last place you want to yield wherever he's putting the pressure. Last week, he put a little pressure on humility, didn't he? Ron came down and the Lord had spoken to him prophetically about the need for humility. And I felt the pride in my backside get pushed down. That's how we learn. That's how we learn that our position on our faces, our position laid down is one of vulnerability, not one of self-defense. I would ask you this morning, where is he applying the pressure? Where, where is the Lord's hand gently coaching you, moving you, pushing you? Some of you, God, I just want your will for my life. I just want whatever you want. Just don't make me sit down over there. And he's like, sit, boy, sit, sit. He's chasing you around the room. Search and rescue, Moses. Search and rescue. <laughs> I'm like, well, if the kid lost in the building has stakes wrapped around him, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. This word, beside seen a number of places in scripture but it's most often translated as upon in fact Genesis 1 verse 2 says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the waters and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the deep the Spirit of God was moving upon the surface of the deep. This is the word. We think, and I'm sure that translators throughout history, as they're reading this Hebrew passage, are thinking, well, what makes the most sense is, you know, this gentle picture. You know, a lot of us, we get this idea, we get this picture because we've seen it somewhere, like there was actually a picture taken of the green pastures and the still waters that David was talking about. So we see like the Scottish highlands with like green everywhere and bagpipes playing in the background and a bubbling brook. But in the Middle East, a green pasture was like a desert in a valley with like a couple blades of grass sticking up. Like that was a green pasture. Like grass was not real, real easy to come by. So pasture lands were very different than these lush, green, rich places. As we see this, pictures start to unfold. This, this quiet waters that he leads us beside, it makes sense to think, oh, and he's bringing his sheep down to this nice bubbling brook. But when you can read it like it was written, that he leads us upon quiet waters. What I have to believe, what I want to believe, because I know David personally, is that King David, a man after God's own heart, knew that the Father's heart was to put one on his throne to fulfill the covenant he had made with him, one who would teach us 
how to walk on water. That this was actually about entering into what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is for, which is to bring us into a place of operating in the supernatural. It's to bring us into a place where we participate in things that only God can do, that only Jesus can do. That, that we're called into this place of believing, not just praying for miracles, but believing them, declaring them, walking in them. Greater things than even Jesus will do, the word tells us, we will do. Okay. Sure, that includes the little mighty deeds that no one sees. But I also believe that it means healing the sick. I also believe that it means raising the dead. I also believe that it means casting out demons. And if you don't believe that, this will be a really hard place to stay. Because the temperature's turning up. That's all I can say. Especially on Tuesday nights. <laughs> so perhaps David knew that the Father's heart was to teach us how to walk on water. Because that's what the Spirit did. Going all the way back to the beginning, before there was sin, even before creation was completed, the Holy Spirit was hovering upon the waters. And this desire of the Good Shepherd is to lead us into that same place. But the key here is we have to be led. We have to be led. If there, there's a reoccurring theme throughout this passage He leads me, He guides me. He brings me. I don't care what translation you have. There is some version of him doing the leading over and over again. Now, we can't get to quiet waters unless we're led. But I'll tell you what we do, okay? Here's what we do. When we're in chaos, when we're in dysfunction, when tragedy strikes, what do we do? Our default is to go find quiet waters ourselves. Not to be led by the Holy Spirit into a place of the supernatural. No. It's to go find a place of peace, a place of restoration, a place of hope ourselves. And let me tell you, that can get us into a big mess. A friend of mine whose husband passed, loved the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit, but was so grief-stricken that she ended up going with a friend to a medium to contact her lost husband. And I'm not going to give you all the gory details, but I will tell you this. The result was not a restored soul. The result was not peace. The result was that she was hurled into a world of chaos. Spiritual chaos, mental chaos, physical chaos issues that immediately were the result of of doing exactly what scripture tells us not to do to seek out spiritualists and diviners that is not who we are we have no lack we have no need because he is our shepherd amen and her daughter this is just a crazy thing her daughter was sharing uh a similar story that she had gone with somebody and had come back and for weeks following that visit to a medium, there was poltergeist activity in her house and cabinet doors were ripped off of their hinges and plates and everything. She watched as a spiritual whirlwind destroyed her physical home because she invited in something that we're taught not to play with. It's real. But the danger of this is, saints, it happens when we search out our own peace. Well, if I could just talk to him one more time, I'd have peace. Well, if I could just, you know, if I could just feel his presence one more time, if I could just go and get this, if I could just numb this pain one more time, if I could just uh, feed this addiction one more time. And how many how many people that the Lord brought into full recovery are now dead because of the one more time? Because the Lord brought them through a season of freedom and their body was completely cleansed of all that stuff. And then they go back and, and pick up where they left off and their body can't take it anymore. 
snuffed out. Why? Because we have a habit of leading ourselves. We seek out that peace, that hope ourselves instead of seeking out the one who can lead us there. There's another thing that we do that we got to be on guard of when it comes to the leading piece of this because there are times when we lead the Lord. Well, Zach, how does that happen? Well, it looks like this. Have you ever seen a little girl like lead her dad around? She's like going to say, I want to show you something. And you're like, okay, here we go. And you're like pretending to be excited like you've never seen it before. But it's like, yep, that's been in the backyard since before you were born. But rad. (laughs) Here we go again. Your three other siblings showed me too. But, you know, you're pretending, right? Yeah, we can lead the Lord. But when we lead the Lord, it looks like this. God, there's a crisis over here. Let me show you. I need you to do something. And we take him by the hand and we, we want to we attack that thing with our dad. Yeah, my dad can beat your dad up. Whoa. We only want to lead him into stormy waters. When we lead the Lord, we bring him to stormy waters where we need him to perform a miracle. The difference is when he leads us, he leads us to quiet waters where he's calling us to perform the miracle. Yeah, 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 I'll come. I'll quiet the sea. I'll come. I'll calm the storm. I'll come. I'll move the mountains. I'll part the sea. See, that's what was crazy. When the, when the parting of the Red Sea happened and Israel was coming across it, they were young. They were just experiencing God. It was plagues and Pharaoh's army and the waters are parted. And they come across it and they had been carrying tradition, but tradition... Unfortunately, and we see this in our churches today, tradition does not equal supernatural. Tradition does not equal the fullness and the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? They had carried the tradition for their 400 years in Egypt as slaves. By the way, you can carry tradition as a slave. Oh, darn. I don't even have enough. We just got to... All right. Write that down. We'll, We'll go to it later. They weren't ready to operate in signs and wonders themselves. They weren't ready to step out in the supernatural. So God does it for them. There's a place of maturity, though, that he's calling us to, sons and daughters of God. And it is not a place just to come and kneel beside still waters. It's a come and walk upon them. I wouldn't need to part the sea if I had a nation of people that could walk right across the top of it. That's the bride he's coming back for. No pressure. So one more warning here before we go. We may try to find that peace. And we feel like, you know, they'll tell you in the wilderness, uh, if in, in sur- wilderness survival, they'll tell you one of the first things they'll tell you is never drink from water that's not moving. Why? Because it harbors bacteria. You can get sick and die. Maybe not that fast, but, you know, there's a painful time before that. You know, you know, Rob, you've been there. And, uh, and, and so they tell you only drink from moving water because it's fresh. It's going to be cleaner at least. So I think sometimes when we go out seeking out still water, quiet water, peaceful water, we end up at Satan's cesspool and we end up trying to get refreshed by something other than where the Lord wants us. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. This is, this is um, the best part. For now, he restores my soul. I'm just so glad that it doesn't end there. Everybody say semicolon. I love punctuation. Significant. He restores my soul. 
semicolon. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Why? Because the restoration of your soul does not sustain itself. The restoration of your soul will last as long as you're crouched down beside the waters he led you to. As long as you're not lacking because you've been nourished and sustained by your shepherd. When we pull away from that, when we peel away from that, when we take two steps back from that, our soul is subject once again to all the brokenness, all the chaos, all the nonsense of this world. And that's why for many believers, your journey with God looks more like a playground than it does a path. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Has anybody ever tried to pull a kid away from a playground? Does anybody in here still need to be pulled away from a playground? Thank you. I see that hand, Allie. Here's what's crazy. All right, you're trying to pull your kids away. You know, come on, Sawyer. Come on, Finn. It's time to go. We got to go pick up mom. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right, everybody in the car. Go, go, go. Here's what's crazy. Kids will run back to whatever it was that hurt them. They will run back to whatever it was that nearly resulted in an emergency room visit five minutes ago. Kids will run back and say, hey, I got thrown off that merry-go-round and dislocated my shoulder, but I got another good one right here. And that's why Sawyer's third grade pictures are with two broken arms in casts, one red, one orange. Uh, kids go back. That playground, it's like we find a place we can hide. Dad'll never find me in here. <laughs> As if I'm going to like leave him and go do whatever I need to do without him. That'll preach. I hope somebody's listening in here. Guys, it's time to leave the playground. The paths of righteousness are what sustain the restorative work, the regenerative work. Everything God's already done in you. Some of you spent the entire year of 2021 getting soul work done. Having, having the Lord do deep, crazy, hard stuff on your insides. Making things right. Rebreaking and setting broken bones that grew back mangled from whatever it was that you've experienced over your life. But here's the crazy thing. If you don't stay on a path of righteousness, you will end up in the same triage. You will end up in the same brokenness. In fact, Scripture is clear. You will end up worse because whatever unclean thing you've been washed of will come back with seven spirits more wicked than itself. That's the Word of God. And that's what we have watched tragically play out through the lives of believers who refuse to leave the playground. One more time around the merry-go-round, Zach. One more time down the big slide with the rusty edges. One more time around Tetanus City. the paths of righteousness. Some of us, we mistake this. We get this mixed up. We think if I'm not on the path of righteousness, then I'm going to hell. No, this actually isn't about your eternal home. The paths of righteousness, it's not about, it's not about finding, finding favor in the Lord's eyes. It's not about earning your way into heaven or, or maintaining, you know, uh, Jesus' robes of righteousness on you. It's not about that. It's not about getting into heaven. It's making sure that every day between here and there doesn't look like hell. And as believers, if we would listen, if we would be led, if we would be led, some of you guys know where I stand on this. I'm sorry that y'all are standing for so long, but I just want you to, this is, you know, just get used to it. I'm just kidding. 
I never do this. It's because, you know, the lights are on and I'm looking at everybody in the face and y'all look beautiful and I just want to make this moment last. Real talk, though. Real talk. What it comes down to is that that righteous path keeps your soul restored. Wally just came down and shared that passage about, hey, you know, there's some things that we get in the habit of doing, not coming together, not allowing ourselves to be held accountable, not being vulnerable with each other, not being real, coming into church and smiling and putting on a show. Everything's fine. How you doing? Great. The path of righteousness is one that we walk together. It's a dangerous path. Pastor John was telling me afterward, it's a path between two pastures with a mountain on this side and a cliff on this side. It's a path that we can only be on if we're led by the shepherd. And finally, in closing, just so y'all know, Ashley just stood up. Just now. (laughs) That's because she went through first service. Yeah, so she knows how long this is. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This should be the most relieving thing you've heard all day. That it's not about your name. It's not about your name. You know, in all the cute, like, little kids' plays that our kids put on, like Christmas and stuff like that, you know, the shepherd comes out with the sheep, and they do the, like, sheep song, and the sheep are named these cute names, like Frank, Billy, Buddy, and Bob. And, uh, and everyone's like, she's sheep with the names. Did you see that? You know what's crazy? In Scripture, there's not one sheep with a name. Now, as Chris Anderson reminded me in John 10, we see that Jesus knows his sheep and he calls them by name, but their names aren't implicitly stated because there's only one name that matters to sheep. Yes, sir. And it's the name of their shepherd. Yes, sir. The state of the sheep do not reflect the sheep. They reflect the shepherd. And if you have a... If you have a uh, If you have a a sheep flock that's all flea-bitten and ragged and bootlegged and missing limbs and wool patches and, you know, they've got gnats all around their front side and their back side and everything else, then you know that that shepherd probably needs to be fired and you need a new shepherd. It comes down to one name. And the Lord takes care of his sheep and makes sure that they are without lack because it's for his name. This is all about his name. Some of y'all, we, we, you know, we've lived through the shepherding movement of the 80s. We've, we know, you know, usually pastor and shepherd are sort of used synonymously. And so you call me pastor, Wally, John, Will, Kurt, you call us pastor, Tony. And, and what happens is, Uh, you know, we start to pull some of these things that only the Lord can do. We start to pull them down and start to put them on man. And I I just want to be really clear and upfront with you. I cannot raise you from the dead. I personally can do nothing except bah right next to you. We have one shepherd. I love that you guys, I was telling the first service, I love that most of you don't even know my last name unless you've been on the website. I think they took it off the website. I think it was a liability or something. You don't know my last, you know why? It doesn't matter. You don't need to know my last name, my first name. You don't need to know my middle name. You don't need to know anything. There's one name you need to know. There's one name you need to call on. There's one name you need in the hospital. There's one name you need in the ditch. There's one name you need when you're hanging off the side of a cliff. 
There is one name you need to call on when there is a lion crouching, ready to pounce. And it's the name above every name. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name that, that still raises people from the dead, that still saves, that still delivers, that still sets free. It's the name of Jesus Christ. It's the name of our good shepherd. And when we can learn to not only call on his name when we're in times of crisis, God, we need you to heal. We need you to save. We need you to calm the storms. But when we can calm ourselves long enough to be led, we will experience the restoration that he has for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Good, good shepherd. We thank you for the way you lead us. Lord, not, not ignorant or neglectful of our state, not, not missing things that happen to us along the way, but Lord, carefully and cautiously, precisely and exactly you lead us. Lord, I thank you that you don't just throw out blanket statements, but Lord, you do know us by name and call us by name. But Lord, I pray that you would find in us a people who are not obsessed with our name. We're obsessed with yours for your name's sake. God, I pray that the restorative work that you've accomplished in us as a church as a community of people, of believers, God, that we would seek to preserve and sustain that restoration in these paths that you're leading us in. God, that we would, that we would be careful to walk exactly in your footsteps, knowing that anywhere in between might not be sure. God, I pray that a spirit would rise up within us, Lord, uh, to, to a spirit of humility, as Ron talked about last week, a spirit of submission, so that when you apply pressure, no matter what pasture it's in, no matter where we are, Lord, that we will lie down. Lord, forgive us when even lying down still resorts back to that sin crouching at the door, those predatorial instincts, God. That forgive us, God, when, when we're constantly on guard of how to protect ourselves or how to position ourselves. We don't want to be a bride like that. Lord, we want to lie down without lack because of who our shepherd is. Lord, if there's any in this room that have found their way to their own still waters, that have found their way to, to their own uh, quiet place in hopes of restoration or healing or, or numbing some pain, God, I pray that even in that place this morning that they would hear your voice calling them back back into green pastures, back into that, to that water, Lord, that we're not just to come up next to, but that you've given us your spirit to walk upon. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. All right, we'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.